is an Odyssey original. This is KNX In-Depth. I'm Chris Seedens. And I'm Charles Feldman. Well, some people think of him as the mayor of Los Angeles. For other people, he's the voice that welcomes them at LAX. But for nearly 10 years, <laughs> Los Angeles has been led by Mayor Eric Garcetti. He took over at a time when the city was just coming out of the Great Recession and beginning to find its economic footing again. Well, fast forward to today. What legacy does Mayor Garcetti leave behind during his time at City Hall? And what is he going to do next? We'll ask him shortly as he sits down. Well, he's actually has already sat down. He's and, here. <laughs> he's right here <laughs> and goes in depth with us for his final interview with KNX as mayor of L.A. Uh, also coming up in the second half hour of our show, voters in Georgia turned out uh, yesterday in big numbers, turned the st- Senate Blue, incumbent to Senator Raphael Warnock, won the runoff election there yesterday, defeating Republican former football star Herschel Walker. We'll go in-depth into what the Democrats can do now with a slim majority uh, in the Senate. I'll, that, Mind you, it's a, it's a larger majority than what they had before. Uh, and we will talk uh, with a U.S. Capitol Police officer who's just awarded a Congressional Gold Medal for his efforts on January 6th last year to save lawmakers from insurrectionists who stormed the Capitol building. He was also a key president presence at the hearings. But we start, as I mentioned, with the mayor of Los Angeles, Eric Garcetti, with us in the studio. Mr. Mayor, thank you for being back. The last time you were with us live was right before the city shut down because of the pandemic. So how the heck have you been? I've been uh, through a few things, but it's breathtaking to be back here. It feels really good to be back in studio, even if in the last week. Good to be with you, Charles and Chris, and and with all the listeners who, uh, for so many uh, years, we would every month get together and answer their questions. So it's exciting to be back, and I'm glad the city is roaring back. Yeah, this is like old home week. We used to sit in the the studio right behind us to to ask the mayor for for many years. It was cozy. Yes, it was. So, all right, so let's get down to business. Okay. So, uh... The your replacement, Karen Bass, yes. has said on day one, when she becomes mayor, she is going to declare a state of emergency be, to deal with the homeless crisis. But that raises the question: How much of that is political theater? Not the crisis, but this whole business of state of emergency. You've been mayor, as I said, for nearly ten years. You could have at any point declared a state of emergency. I wrote on a piece of paper here, state of emergency. Mm-hmm. I'm going to hand it to you. Go ahead. There you go. Thank you. Now, I mean... <laughs> You've just declared no, it? Yeah, well, you're the mayor right now. I'm going to give you a pen. Here's a pen. Is there any reason why you can't right now declare a state of emergency? Why do we have to wait until Karen Bass is sworn in as mayor of Los Angeles? You signed it. Okay. <laughs> so there is now officially a state of emergency. No, but, but you know what I'm getting of at. Course. What I'm getting at is, is it, it is a serious problem. There's no question about it. But how much of this is theater, political theater, about we're going to have a state of emergency? You're not unaware for the past 10 years of how serious a problem it is. It, it almost makes it sound like you haven't done enough. I don't take it that way. And I think that Mayor-elect Bass, uh, who is somebody I've known from long before we were both elected, and I share a sense of deep urgency. I've said this is an emergency. We declare a shelter emergency every year. Um, And more than what we declare, it's what we do. And I'm excited to see her lean in and say this is priority number one because it has to be. Certainly has been for me, pulling the state in, getting the feds to do more, finding emergency programs like Project Room Key, which allows us to put people in hotel rooms, Project Home Key, buy some of those motels and apartments. 
And the greatest gift was really something that I campaigned very hard on, and she will benefit from, and this entire city will benefit from, ULA, a housing measure that really does say that the people of LA think this is an emergency, that we will have up to a billion dollars a year to prevent homelessness and to build our way out of homelessness. So I welcome it. I think there aren't additional powers you necessarily gain in terms of new revenue sources from the feds. FEMA doesn't say, oh, state of emergency, take as much money as you need. But if we can get the feds, and that's her experience as a congresswoman, to continue funding programs like Project Home Key, making that state of emergency is not going to be a bad thing to do. It can only be a positive, even if it doesn't come today with dollars. I think it shows that seriousness and really pushes the question, cities can't do this by themselves. I can testify to that. It will require county, states, and federal government to lean in harder. Do you leave office thinking you've done all you can on the homeless issue? Well, I think we inherited 40 years of a housing crisis, and homelessness is the tip of the spear of that, as well as a mental health crisis, by the way, that we've just never addressed. And it's only gotten worse with uh, higher-grade drugs and methamphetamines and psychosis that's out on our streets that we see. Um, You know, a poll from Loyola Marymount kind of blew me away when they said, do you think the mayor's done a good job? And I would have said, you know, given the rhetoric that's out there, everybody's so frustrated, I expect it to be 10 or 20 percent, and a majority of people said yes. But am I personally satisfied? No. Because I've worked on this issue since I was 14, and until we have no tents on our streets, people naked and defecating on our streets, we have to hate homelessness. But we have to learn to not hate the people who are homeless. Um, that's why I think United to House LA, if HHH, the measure to build housing, we used to build about four or five unit, sorry, apartments a year for uh, people who are formerly homeless. We have 37 finishing between now and the end of the year, one a day plus. Um, this will keep that pace going for forever. And most importantly, because we've gone from about 5,000 people a year getting housed to 20,000, Chris. Quadrupled it. But more people became homeless because so many people are getting pushed in. This measure allows us to give rental assistance like we did during the pandemic to prevent it happening. Can can it ever really, really be solved completely? Well, I hold faith that we can. And I'll give you the one proof point. Um, When Michelle Obama said, let's end veterans homelessness, and I'm a vet, Mm -hmm. I care deeply about this. I came into that promise later, but I said yes. And the feds lined it up with vouchers for veterans to get apartments, the health care that they needed, mental health care. We reduced homelessness among veterans by 85%. And we're not different than non-veterans. We're white and black and Latino and Native and Asian. We're old, we're young, we're male, we're female. I mean, vets are a good cross-section of America. And it shows that when this country wants to do something, we can. But I will say this. If Washington or political leaders expect mayors and cities on their own to do this, no. A city cannot. We don't have a mental health department. We don't have those housing dollars at enough, though this measure may get us close. So it really has to be that America decides to end homelessness, especially in those cities where we've had a housing crisis. Last thing I'll say that I'm very proud of is this really is, again, about how much housing we didn't build for 40 years. And since I became mayor, we've now tripled the pace of that. It's not just the affordable housing. It's all housing. And um, we got last year Southern California to accept a realistic number of 500,000 new units of housing we need to build in the next eight years. If we could actually do that, you don't have to be homeless to fill this crisis. The middle class wonders whether it can stay in L.A. But I think we've at least set the table. We've tripled it. If our next mayor can double it again, we will have enough housing. Right. But, but you know, I, I said at the, uh, the KNX debate that we had with uh, Rick Caruso and, and with the mayor-elect Bass, and it's true, that since I've been in L.A., I have had a discussion about the homeless crisis with Mayor Reardon, yep. with Mayor Hahn, 
with Mayor Garcetti, with you. Uh, I mean, I mean, Viragosa, everyone, I think, was sincere. I think you've been sincere Mm -hmm. about wanting to deal with it. So what is it that she's going to do? And and before Mm -hmm. you say, well, she she's comes from that Washington Mm -hmm. culture. She was a congressperson. You can pick up the phone and get Joe Biden anytime you Mm -hmm. want. So I still don't get what she can do Mm -hmm. that you didn't or couldn't have done in all your time in City Hall. Well, here's a bigger point. Anybody who says I or she or he can or will fix it, we're wrong. It's not about one person. It's about whether we collectively will. It's about voting measures like the HHH, Measure H, and now United to House LA. It's about insisting that our state say a right to mental health care or supporting the governor in care courts, which makes some people uncomfortable, but we sometimes need to help people um, who have mental health problems get back on meds and stick with a program. It's about making sure that we have sufficient housing, not just for people unhoused, but rental assistance so that people don't become there. I think we've pushed the ball further than it's ever been pushed. But you're right. I remember Gavin Newsom saying, I ran as mayor against homelessness. I reduced it. It went back up. They almost kicked me out because of homeless. And when I left, it was the same. If we don't get to the fundamental underlying drivers in, I always say homelessness is actually quite simple. Trauma meets high rent. So reduce the rent by building enough housing, subsidize the rent where you can, and deal with people's trauma. And don't look to cities. You're right. It won't be a mayor by herself. But I think she has a unique set of skills, having been Speaker of the Assembly, having served in Congress, and organizing here locally to pull those pieces together and build on what we've done. And like I said, with ULA, she'll have more money that first year than we had in the first seven years. And you can't help but to think that we're somewhat of a melting pot when it comes for the homeless problem because so many people in other parts of the country come here mm-hmm. to the warm climate of Southern California to get away from the, the cold in the, in the winter. So it's, people are going to continue to come to Southern California. It's why we yeah. see it outdoors. It's interesting. Yeah. You know, most major cities have about 1% of their population are homeless. Yeah. Many more indoors, though, because you have to or you'll die in yeah. places like New York or Minneapolis. Here you can survive on the streets, but I wouldn't call it survival. And I I think that we've shown a way, whether it was Venice Beach, whether it was MacArthur Park, we know now how to take people in massive encampments into housing. We now have to do it on every corner everywhere in L.A. You know, and uh, we were talking during the break that uh, mayor-elect Bass has apparently today appointed somebody who, in effect, is going to be in charge of of, uh, overseeing or taking care of the homelessness Crisis. What do you know about that? So Mercedes Marquez, I uh, think the world of her. We worked together closely at City Hall when I was in the city council chairing our housing committee. And she was uh, the head of our housing department, worked at HUD. Um, she's experienced. She is a take-no-prisoners kind of go-getter who really brings, I think, a mirror of that urgency that I've brought and that I know that the mayor-elect will bring to this problem. Um, There's other great people. Ann Sewell, who heads up our housing department, will spend the money that comes from this measure that just passed, producing as much as a billion a year. People like Doug Guthrie, who head up our our housing uh, authority, and Che Ramirez, who's there doing day-to-day work. Those, I think we have a real dream team there. And people should be impatient about homelessness, but also patient with the idea that building this up, it's like we never had a car or a highway. We finally have the car and the highway. Sometimes people are saying, nothing's working, just blow it all up. It's like, no, don't destroy the car, don't unpave the highway, accelerate. And I think she's a real accelerator. Mayor Garcetti, the uh, City Hall racism controversy, the scandal that's going on right now, it all stems from redistricting. Bill now being introduced in Sacramento that would create an independent redistricting panel. Your thoughts on the redistricting issue and and how it's handled in the city? 
I'm a big supporter of redistricting being put in the hands of an independent commission. You know, I've gone through three uh, redistrictings, two as a council member and one as mayor. And when you're mayor, you don't care really about those. You want equal representation, but you don't have a personal stake because you have the whole city, not a district. But I think the ugliness of those tapes really pointed out that raw political power when people are all about behind closed doors trying to keep things for themselves. It's exactly the wrong approach. We need to keep communities together. We need to keep public interest foremost, not whether politicians get goodies. I want that church, that neighborhood, that museum. Really, we should think about it from the people out and not city hall in. Um, But you have to do it the right way, Chris. There are people who can be part of an independent redistricting commission and they're citizens, so they're impartial. But they also don't understand or know much about the communities or listen the right way. So I would say you want a combination where maybe there's some input on who gets appointed. But once they're appointed, their lines are the final ones. And I think that's what the county has done, and it works well. And on the scandal itself, Nuri Martinez has resigned. Uh, Kevin DeLeon, well, Gil Cedillo, he's he's finished this month. Uh, Kevin DeLeon refusing to leave. Have you spoken with him? I have. Uh, I spoke when this happened, saw him personally. said, really, the only way forward for our city is for him to step aside. It's the best way forward for him personally, you know, to be able to do the hard work of the reflection. Um, you yeah, know, but he, he hasn't. Well, I don't know what he's been reflecting on. I can't speak to that, but I, he hasn't stepped <laughs> no, aside. No, stepped aside. Oh, yeah, absolutely, which I still think is the absolute right thing to do. And it's really holding the city, holding the city council hostage. And, you know, people are complicated, right? I've known good things that each one of those people have done. Um, that doesn't mean that they didn't cross a line and that they have to have the humility to step aside. But, um, you know, for the people of Council District 14, they need a representative. They need somebody who has, who uh, the other colleagues can interact with. And right now it's hurting his community and certainly hurting that institution. So ne- next week, uh, you're going to be a man without a police escort. Right. I'll get to drive. I'll get to like <laughs> go to a movie, maybe a matinee. I'll get to. Uh... But, but but what do you do now? I mean, the whole uh, thing with you becoming ambassador mm-hmm. to India has been held up and 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 largely because of this uh i hate using words like scandal but it is a scandal a city hall scandal um how much does i've talked to to some people mm-hmm. who you know yeah. uh who tell me that you feel very hurt by this whole episode that you i'm paraphrasing them but they say that you feel you've made many accomplishments as mayor of the city of Los Angeles and that you are concerned that your legacy has been tainted by this scandal. And in fact, if you don't get the ambassadorship to India, that will only uh, more ingrain those feelings. Do they have you right? No, I think the second and third hand, let let me just say it straight so nobody has to interpret it uh, via uh, operator or something else. I'm very, very proud, satisfied, and um, anxious to see what comes next in regards to the work that I've done. I'm not a legacy-obsessed person. I'm actually somebody who thinks less about what I do than who I want to be. And I'm clear who I am and how much I've loved this city in 21 and a half years, the sacrifices I've made to love to serve the city. And in the real world, not the clickbait of an article or social media comments, but actually on the streets, it's been such a sweet ending. People come up and thank me for something I did as a council member that put them into housing or just the nightly addresses during COVID that got them through that day and helped them have some hope. 
Um, and that's, to me, the feeling that I leave with. Um, I couldn't be clear. I wouldn't call it a scandal. People muddy water all the time. I think I've been very clear about my principles, and I've been very clear about my truth. And just because untruths are stated over and over doesn't make them true. And it's not just from me. The people who have worked around me, who have worked under a couple people who have made these accusations, fully rebut them. I didn't ask them to say that. I didn't pressure them to say that. They've either been under oath and sometimes public and not really covered because you probably get fewer clicks, less excitement. But they know who I am. They've been thanking me all week. They say, thank you for being one of the best bosses we've ever had. Thank you for leading with love. And I'm not different behind the scenes than I am right here. Uh, I think it's one of the things that defines me and people who have known me. My college roommate wrote me when he read some stupid article. He said, dude, you were woke before woke existed. We, yeah. I and my you two <laughs> sweet mates who are the two football players would say something while you're doing homework and you'd yell at us for saying, that's not cool. Cut it out. So I've not ever changed who I am as a person, and I've stated the full truth, and I'm excited. I think that we're at the end of the road. Somebody said, my mom said, God just wanted you to be around for the extra year here so you could see through. Typical Jewish mother, I don't have the guilt of leaving early, right. but uh, I think she's right. I'm really glad I had the extra year, even if some points were honestly painful, to have things thrown up at you that you know not to be true. But I've come out of it much stronger crystal clear and ready to serve. And where you where do you come back here? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and think somebody said too if you'd left early, you know who the mayor would have been in this time would have been Nuri Martinez. So, you know, this was a moment where sometimes in crisis I didn't ask to be here from COVID, I didn't ask to be here with a scandal of these tapes, but you're defined as much by what you set out to do as what you don't expect to happen and how you react. Quickly, we'll take a break, but where do things stand right now with India? Uh, good. I have great bipartisan support. The president has been very clear, okay. and I leave it really in his hands that they're leaning in. We need is there, is there a timetable? In uh, That's up to the Senate to schedule, but I'm optimistic it'll come in the next month or two. And he has been very clear. The most populous country in the world needs an ambassador. It's been plenty long, and this is the guy, my guy, stand by 100%. So you think you're going to get the confirmation in a month or two? I would hope so. I, I never prejudge anymore because uh, I've been asked that for a year, but <laughs> yeah. I am quite optimistic. Yeah. Okay. So uh, let's say you get the India gig. Uh, How's that for an ambassador to the India gig? Um, but but what do you do after that? Uh, what do, what does one do after one becomes ambassador to anywhere? Yeah. Well, I, th I think that people often think that elected officials have like master plans and they all end in the White House or in being governor. Don't or they? Like, it's always more. I don't have one. I never have. I'm after 21 years. I can't wait to reintroduce myself to myself, to read some books, to reflect, to like. Not ask what I want to do, but who I want to be. Our daughter is 10, about to turn 11 in two weeks. Happy birthday, Maya. Um, and I kind of didn't get, you know, I'd spent a lot of time with my family, but I didn't get that reflective time to grow. I don't know. I mean, maybe there's elective life in the future. I don't shut the door. But that's not my coy way of saying I'm definitely running for something. I always loved international relations, whether it was helping refugees, working on you know international development work. And I think going to India will give me a taste of foreign policy, security policy, that kind of international development and climate work. Um, so I think there's a lot of places, but I've also had writers come say, let's develop a, a series about City Hall for Netflix and things. Who knows what the world That's good idea. Uh, puts forward. <laughs> I, I'm going to listen to the universe, reflect, just be a daddy, be a husband, be a friend and hang out. You know, I, if, I, if you do that series, yeah. you, you, you can have it reflect. Like it's through the eyes of two reporters, yeah, of like course, at a radio station. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Well, you know what? I'd like to look ahead in a way, but look back as well uh, in yeah. that maybe someday for memoirs. Yeah. Uh, that you might put out. When you look back to uh, ask the mayor, and we, we asked yeah. you about this many times yep. uh, leading up to the 2020 election, um, was there serious consideration or how, what, yeah, mm -hmm. how, how serious was consideration on your part 
for a run of the presidency? I thought about it somewhat hard, but not very hard. I think I came to the realization, I, I thought the thesis that a mayor is really well trained to be president is true, and that a mayor could actually present him or herself to the people, as we saw with Mayor Pete, and actually be quite successful right. in the campaign. I also recognize that while you're mayor of a big city, it's almost irresponsible to run, and there's always going to be something bad going on, whether it's homelessness, a shooting. I mean, there's a lot more fodder than if you're a senator or even a governor. So it's logistically tough, even if some ways it's the executive training that we would want to see. Most countries, it's a no-brainer. The mayor of Paris becomes the president of France. The mayor of London right. is yeah. talked about for prime minister. Yeah. I, don't, I gave it somewhat serious thought, but I more was interested really in stopping the president that was in place, and um, that was President Trump. And, you know, at the end of the day, it was an easy decision for me. I, I also believed you don't go to something new, whether it was when the Senate seat opened up or the presidency, when you have something great right here. And I had a contract with the people, well, two well, elections, saying I'd serve, and serving uh, that out was important. Let me ask you this. Governor Newsom's name is being brought up an mm -hmm. awful lot about yep. if Joe Biden doesn't run. Mm -hmm. Timing-wise, you won't be the mayor of Los Angeles mm -hmm. anymore. If Joe Biden decides not to run, would there be some thoughts? No. If I'm serving as ambassador, no. You cannot do that okay. job, and I want to but, do that job. Yeah, but that raises the question, should Joe Biden run? I believe so. I think, you know, you know I was his campaign chair. I helped yeah. co-chair the, the VP search, was an inauguration co-chair. He's a dear friend, great mentor. I try to take that hat off when I say in two years I've watched him accomplish more than any president I know in two years. And that's with the sizable accomplishments that President Obama did with health care. I mean, you think the, the ARPA, the infrastructure bill we've been waiting 20 years for, a competitiveness bill to finally bring back industry, and now the biggest climate bill in world history in the first two years? Uh, you know, everybody tries to say, oh, there's this speech, there's that that happened. Is he ready? What's his age? If he keeps producing like this, we should be lucky to have him for another four years. I want to ask you about the situation at LA City Hall right now. As a former city hall, city council president, mm -hmm. when you see the protesters who have been coming out every time, uh, making their presence felt, as a former council president, you're seeing what they're having to deal with. The council still has to do the city's business. What are your thoughts when you see what's what's happening? I agree with the sentiment of the protesters saying we need to have these resignations. But I also would say to them or to anyone else, obviously this tactic isn't necessarily working. Be flexible and help us do the business of the people of Los Angeles. We need we have such a toxic political environment, not just at City Hall, but everywhere, where activism sometimes only is about confronting power. Very important, very necessary. But if you're just saying, F you, F you, F you, F you, I hate you. Oh, by the way, do something. Yeah. Nobody's going to do something when you're just saying F you at them. And we yeah. can't find common decency anymore, common ground, common good when you visit people's homes. And I'm not just saying that as somebody whose home was visited, but families need to be off limits. Um, you know, People need to recognize that council members are people, mayors are people, and that they're us. They're our neighbors that we elect here in Los Angeles. It's bad enough in Washington. Let's not create that here. Yeah. And if you are going to confront power, have a plan to come into City Hall, not just to yell, but to negotiate, to get things done, and to seize power, uh, unless you just want a great Instagram post. So, so with, with that sentiment yeah. in mind, in all the years you were mayor, uh, who's the politician that you've learned to hate the most? <laughs> <laughs> well, enough about our former president. <laughs> Your old friend from the oh, CNN days. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> okay. Mayor Garcetti, uh, it's been a pleasure. 
Thank uh, you. We've had you in studio so many times. You're back again for a final time. Thank you so much uh, for, for indulging us uh, with, with conversation. Well, I'll, I'll be a caller uh, in the fu- in future <laughs> years, and if you'll indulge me for 20 seconds more, yeah. it has really been the honor of a lifetime, um, not only representing the city, but coming in here and showing folks that democracy is about answering everyone's questions, not curating them. Thank you for being part of a still free press. Uh, and everybody... Listen to the new KNX on FM. It's never been smoother. Yes. Oh, what a what a promo! <laughs> and can you go. can you talk to Karen Bass and say, "Hey, continue my tradition." I will definitely put it. Keep coming. A, in. a great word for both of you. <laughs> All right. Mayor, Mayor Garcetti, thank you for being with us. This is KNX in depth, along with Chris Seedens. I'm Charles Felton. Well, Democrats are celebrating today as they will now have. Further control of the Senate starting in January. Yes, one more seat than they had before. That's because Georgia Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock defeated Republican Herschel Walker in the runoff in Georgia Now, yesterday. War- now Walker, of course, was backed by former President Trump and is another one of his preferred candidates who, well, didn't win. Matthew Gunning is a political science professor at Georgia Gwinnett College. Matthew, thanks for being with us. So... How much significance should we all read into the outcome of this particular election in Georgia? Well, it has meaning, obviously, for voters here in Georgia. But nationally, of course, this uh, empowers the uh, the senators, uh, Democratic senators in the U.S. Senate to do things at the committee level. And so while the Congress will be split with Republicans controlling the U.S. House, Democrats will no longer just have a tie in which they have to rely on the vice president to break that tie, but they'll now have a one-seat majority on every committee, which will make it much easier for committees to issue subpoenas if they want to do that. It'll make it easier for committees to move bills out of the committee process into the floor process. So nationally, it will have an impact in the sense that Democrats will have a little bit easier time Uh, moving things procedurally. And it also means that they can afford to lose uh, a single senator. So for example, if Senator West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin is not on board with something, uh, they don't necessarily have to have his vote to get something passed uh, or to the floor. So this will certainly have an impact in the upcoming two-year session of Congress. It also gives the Democrats a little bit of cushion in the case that a a member of the Democratic majority should uh, retire, die, or resign and creating a vacancy. And so they've got just a tiny little bit of extra security that they would not have had without this additional vote. Yeah, you mentioned Manchin from West Virginia. There's also Cinema as well from uh, Arizona, who, uh, who's who been a thorn, I guess, in the side sometimes when it comes to uh, Chuck Schumer's uh, attempts to get things through the Senate. Talk to me a little bit from the other side of the aisle and how this affects Republicans. Well, for Republicans, there's both the you know uh, campaign side of it, and then there's also the governing side of it. From the campaign side of it, it's quite clear that candidate quality matters. And we've seen this across the United States. In the case of Mr. Walker, here we had a candidate who had multiple allegations of, uh, of, of spousal abuse and other kinds of, of mis, uh, misbehavior. And those kinds of flaws matter. And we look at other races across the United States, election deniers and other candidates that had flaws that received the nomination of the Republican Party generally did quite poorly. And there's a gap if we compare Republican candidates that had flaws, uh, obvious flaws to those that did not have those kinds of flaws. The flawed candidates consistently ran behind 
more sort of traditional Republican candidates. And so perhaps this will drive home within the Republican Party the need to be more selective in terms of who they nominate for statewide contests. Uh, my personal opinion is that if the Republicans here in Georgia had nominated any member of their state of the U.S. House delegation, that that person probably would have won. Mr. Warnock successful, but the margin was pretty small and Republicans carried every other statewide election here in Georgia, not by a large margin, but by a, a, a decent margin. And by selecting a flawed candidate in the case of Mr. Walker, they probably gave the Democratic Party an additional seat in the in the U.S. Senate. So there's there's the campaign side. And, and then on the governing side, you know, perhaps uh, perhaps this will drive home the need to focus on some issues that are more popular with centrist and swing voters. The voters who put Warnock back in the Senate, a significant slice of those voters also voted for Republican Brian Kemp for governor. And Brian Kemp, in certain ways, distanced himself from former President Trump. Perhaps we will see other uh, Republicans see some utility in putting some space between themselves and the former president. All right. Matthew, thank you. Uh, That's Matthew Gunning, political science professor at Georgia Gwinnett College. Well, January the 6th, 2021, a day many of us are going to never forget as the U.S. Capitol was attacked by a group of insurrectionists. They stormed inside the building despite the efforts of U.S. Capitol police officers. Yeah, those officers did everything, everything they could to make sure lawmakers and others were safe that day. They've now been honored for their heroic efforts as they were awarded congressional gold medals, which is the highest honor Congress can give out. With us now is one of those officers, Harry Dunn. If you recognize his name, he testified in front of Congress about the events of that day, and he's also been at the January 6th hearings. Uh, Mr. Dunn, thank you for taking a moment to speak with us today. First of all, let me give us your, your most most vivid memory of that terrible day, January 6th, 2021. Hey, good evening. Um, uh, well, I was, it's almost evening over here on the East Coast, but uh, <laughs> thanks for having me on with you. Um, where do I start? Uh, the whole day is pretty vivid. Um, it's hard to single out a specific point of that day, but one thing that I do remember um was when I was able, once we kind of got a little bit of order restored to the building and being able to look around and seeing the looks on the, my coworkers' faces and, you know, some of the staff of the building and, you know, just, just looking at their faces. I'll never forget the look on their faces after we just experienced what we went through. We had this look of disbelief, like we couldn't believe this was happening. Um, that's a memory that, uh, along with so many others, but that's one of the... That will stay with me forever. You know, I, I remember that day we were sitting here in the studio watching a lot of this unfold in real time on television. And it was hard, of course, from, you know, 3,000 or so miles away to figure out as it was happening what was actually happening. You know, was it a, a prank with some people, you know, trying to, to scale a, a building? Was it a serious attempt to do who knows what? You were on the ground there. How quickly did you realize, as a trained person, too, that this was real trouble? Well, you got to remember, we've been trained in a lot of things on how to be a police officer, um, what to do in a lot of different circumstances. But uh, we've never had 
insurrection training, so to speak. So a lot of it was just survival instincts and just, you know, trusting the officer or the person next to you to um, they'll figure it out together how to make it through this. Um, you know, a lot of the things we didn't have the benefit of watching the TV where people were able to talk about things that were happening or what decisions were being made by laws, um, the lawmakers uh, all the way up to the uh, executive branch. Um, so we were, like I said, we were just going through trying to literally just make sure we made it home uh, to our loved ones that night. And um, like I said, there's no specific training for that, but uh, the individuals who were there, they made it clear to us why they were there. Um, they told us that the, the, the president, the former president sent them and that, uh, you know, that the election was stolen. They were there to stop the steal of the election. And they made that clear that that's why they were there. So, Officer Dunn, I'd like to pick up on something you just said. You said we, we never had insurrection training. When you took the job, could you have ever expected such a terrible attempt in our democracy? Not only when I, I did not expect that when I took the job, but uh, 15 years, well, at that time, I guess it was 13, almost 13 years in, I didn't expect that. So, um, no, no way. What, what are you doing now? I'm at work. Okay. So uh, has this changed the way you perceive your job? No, no. I still take my job with the utmost. Um, I, I view it as, the, I take it very importantly. Um, it, I take my oath very seriously. And um, I'm even more committed to doing that now, um, to doing my part to serve my country. Does it uh, make your blood boil when you hear some of uh, former President Trump supporters falsely claim that this was nothing more January 6th, nothing more than, you know, a peaceful protest? No, I'm not. I don't even engage with those individuals anymore. You know, um, the facts are out there and people can make the decisions for themselves about what happened and the way that they interpret what really happened. Um, says a lot about them. So I don't go, I don't even let that get under my skin anymore. Away from the job, tell me, how has January 6th and what happened that day changed your life physically, mentally, emotionally? Well, you know, I, I suffer from PTSD, um, but uh, going to therapy has helped me out tremendously with how to deal with it. Um, I just, I, I've learned how to shape my, what I like, one of the things that I've learned to do the most is shape my perspective on things because there's so many things that, you know, don't go your way or the way that you want it to go or in, in all, all parts of your life, not just work. Um, but you have to continue no matter what, like the world doesn't stop just because your your feelings are hurt or you disagree with something. So you have to learn how to shape your perspective, which, um, and, you have to be able to sustain it, sustain your mentality so you're able to continue going on about life, like I said, because it doesn't stop just because you disagree with what's happening. Was there anything in your view that law enforcement should have or could have done differently that day? No, nah, no, nah, I'm I don't, I'm not going to sit here on Monday morning quarterback any of those decisions that were made. I'm really proud of the officers that I fought next to and beside that day. They're all heroes. All right. Officer Dunn, thank you for your service and what you, you, you did that day. And uh, we appreciate you taking some time to speak with us today. Thanks a lot. 
Again, that's uh, Officer Harry Dunn. You probably recognize his name. He testified in front of Congress about the events of January 6th. He was at the January 6th hearings as well. That'll do it for this edition of KNX In-Depth. Uh, glad, glad that we were able to have a, a final conversation with uh, Mayor Eric Garcetti as he, he gets set to uh, leave office next week.